Hello and welcome to Tea O'Clock with Kella. Bring your tea and leave with more. Hello. Happy free Halloween. Happy spooky. Happy. Yeah. I don't know what else. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> anyway, this is series four. Series four. Series fours. There we go. They got my S's in the right place. Um, Halloween episode. Yeah. Very exciting. And we're going to be chatting about Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is very oh. exciting. Oh, yeah. And... I'm excited to delve into it a little bit together. Have you yeah. read it? No. No, neither. I think it's one of those that so many people, everyone knows the story. Yeah. Knows of it. But I think it's quite fun to go back to the original text and read it and see where a lot of these kind of tropes and yeah, about the story and how people adapt the story and all that jazz. Yeah, do you know, I've never seen any version of um, not vampire. I'm gonna keep calling it a vampire, but I mean Dracula. <laughs> oh, I've this is any- arguably one of the earliest vampire novels. Oh no, it's called. Oh, what's it called? It's not called Vampire. Yeah, is it called The Vampire by that yeah. Edward guy? Wait, I don't know because there's one by Wait. a woman. Oh, or is it just about? women vampires i'm not sure i have no idea i feel like we should know this oh should, should there, there's a book that i feel like it's called the vampire with a y that oh yes that there is, there is. About, and he said it's so rubbish just don't even bother no i yes there is a vampire with a y book which was also one of the early uh, oh okay wait this isn't what i was thinking of is it a woman's name no but I forgot that the John John Polidori, mm. he's called, he wrote yeah a short story called Vampire with a Y because I remember that was when you you know they had that scary short story competition or scary yeah. novel I don't know who it was it was him and um Poe and Shelley in that yes yes he wrote that but who was Frankenstein at the same time. Yeah, but do you know what I'm on about? That that other vampire thing that they're saying at uni about and they said it's so boring. Yeah, there definitely is an early vampire novel that is boring. And I think for a while, a lot of them were. This was definitely, Dracula's definitely the most commercial, was like the commercial boom of vampires, I think. Yeah. Don't you find it mad, though, that it's still so huge? Oh, yeah. But then... The Beatle sold as much at the same time. Yeah, arguably. And pretty much is the same book. Dracula at that time. And it's yeah, just, but. Dracula seems to have lived on. Yeah. Literally. Um, it's, maybe a vampire is scarier than a Beatle. Yeah. And I do remember we were talking a little bit about this with Jason. He was like, well, why do you think that is? And I think a lot of it is to do with maybe the material nature of dracula as a vampire and as opposed to the beetle which you can't really really say what it is or what form it is because it's with i guess with dracula him shapeshifting into a man and a bat and all that jazz but in the beetle there's less of a fixed thing i guess we talked about this a little bit when we were talking about late victorian gothic fiction an episode on the beetle or not we definitely spoke about the beetle um um at the end of last series we did a late victorian gothic episode so we won't delve too much into that but we should probably hold ourselves back from talking about dracula and vampires yeah what we've been consuming okay do you want to go first yeah um let me think Okay, we're also going to have a quick bonus what we've been consuming for us both, which you already know what it is. Um, but my other, what my proper what we've been consuming is, I what I haven't told you about this. I watched Red, White, and Royal Blue, probably a week or so ago, when I was um crocheting a mini panda, because I'm a ninety year old woman, um who just happens to mm-hmm. like rom coms. <laughs> <laughs> And 
it was such a fun film. It was so sweet. It was so fun. I didn't, I think, like you, I didn't expect to like it so much. Like, okay, yeah, there were, like, cringy moments and whatever, but on the whole, it was great fun and actually a pretty decent story. Yeah, I did enjoy it. I'm so happy to say that because I'm now the movie's number one fan. (laughs) Yeah, because I think even from the beginning with the whole cake scene that the film opens with, I was a bit like, oh my God, this is going to be a bit much for me. But no, I kind of loved it. And I think it will become, it will be added to the roster of rom-com films to watch. I do think it starts off so cringe. And I think from the moment when they actually kiss and like each other, then it's it's so sweet. Then after that, I think, oh, that's cute. I'm on board with this. But before that, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Mm. So that's my consuming. What's yours? Well, today I listened to the audiobook of A Stroke of the Pen, which is being marketed as the lost stories of Terry Pratchett. And I think there were about 18 short stories in there, and they're all from the 1970s when Terry Pratchett was a journalist and he published them under a pseudonym in newspapers and they've got it's a a really amazing cast reading it it's David Tennant, Claire Foy, Jason Watkins, Matthew Bainton uh his daughter's reading one of them oh Gaiman reads that where he wrote a prologue bit to it it was really really good and I just decided to listen to it today because I was in the office by myself there's really it's boring with no one to talk to. Um, we distributed the audio for it. So I decided to have a little lesson and it was really magical. It was like a kid's story for adults. Oh, that's in so a, yeah, in a good way. Yeah. It was it was really sweet and then Christmassy actually. I know that it has Holly on the cover, but I still thought it's not gonna be super Christmassy, I don't know why. But it just made me happy and oh. it was s- such easy listening. And mm. I wanted to get the book now so that I can just occasionally flick through it. But it's ultimate comfort reading. And it's really nice because yeah. I've only read Good Omens. Yeah. It's big thumbs up. Really interesting and smart. Mm. Wow. I think that's what you want. You've got to have the kind of interesting and smart elements and like I like how you described it as children's stories for adults mm-hmm. and with Christmas just seems to make the perfect little thing so love that yeah highly recommend it and just really quickly our bonus what we've been consuming is Kerry and I went to go see Darren Chris at the weekend we met him we saw his show at the Palladium and oh my god, we had the best time ever. Yeah, I still I feel teary now because I, I haven't really spoken about it that much to anyone because I mm. think that I'm still in denial that it actually happened. I was shook. It's just absolutely insane. Um yeah, such a lovely guy, such a good show, such a good stage presence. And yeah, love it. I'll love never love get it. over him seeing Easy Lover wearing oh, a that was so good. tank top. Absolutely insane scenes in the Palladium on Sunday night. Uh, yeah. I, would, I can't believe that wasn't even... It's not going to be a week. Or five, five days ago. Yeah. Even when this comes out, it will be a week tomorrow that happened. Wow. wow. A week tomorrow in the past. Um, yeah madness anyways on to dracula dracula yeah i haven't seen your goodreads review i don't know if you liked it or not i have not written my goodreads review okay. i only finished this just before dinner this evening um Wait, dedication dedication i was <laughs> uh, 
trying to stir the risotto whilst oh. listening to the last few bits. Um, but yeah. <laughs> so do you like it? I do like it. You I sound surprised. No, no, no. It's just a, I think I'm always sometimes surprised with this sort of thing, but then I I remind myself that actually I I love gothic fiction so much and I don't think I've ever read a like gothic type book or whatever or a book from this period with these sort of themes that I don't like. So I don't know yeah. why I'm surprised with myself that I like it. Mm-hmm. Um I think there's always a part of me that gets a little bit, takes me a second to read an epistolary novel written in letters and diary entries and things. Mm. Because I feel like you don't get that as much nowadays. No. But I kind of love it. And I love how in this one you've got everyone's stories layering up and filling in each other's gaps and the kind of self-awareness of them noting down their story yeah um and even at the end when they kind of sum all up with being like well no one's really gonna probably believe us but for us we know that this is it even though we've got all these papers to kind of this written paper trail of it and I kind of love it it kind of sits in that fact fiction valley where makes you question whether these sorts of stories could be true oh yeah like this and there's there's a part of me that kind of loves that um but no really enjoyed it um big fan and it was fun I listened to an audiobook it was just a free one on Spotify and the guy who did it I can't remember his name but he put on some really great accents for all the different characters oh okay interesting um so for Van Helsing and the Count and the American dude and yeah, like he put on really good accents, which just okay. kind of brings it even more to life when you're listening to it. That's fun. Yeah, let me see if I can just see yeah, see who did it. His name is um not Bram Stoker because that's Bram Stoker's name, Mike Bennett. <laughs> okay. So I'm sure if you just type in Dracula Mike Bennett on Spotify, it's like in a it's a podcast but it's just him reading each of the chapters um nice yeah it's really good oh, i know yeah. you can now get audiobooks on spotify as well but yeah okay so you've used up all your hours mm. that's a good one what do you, do you think of wait, it? wait so what what how many stars would you give it just to summarize though uh, i think i'd give it four stars okay i decided in the end to give it four stars as well so on the same page now I was really surprised by this because I think of it as being similar to Frankenstein I know it's not well yeah it's comparable go hand in hand I think because they're the two big they're the big legendary Halloween books yes yes which is not well they didn't intend for that to be a thing but I don't know, so I just think of them together. Yeah. I'm on standard. And because I didn't like that, I thought, oh, this is going to be so boring. And I looked at reviews of it beforehand because, in all honesty, even though I'm an English student, I've never seen any adaptation. I haven't read it at all. All I knew was that Dracula was from Transylvania. Yeah. And it was a vampire. And then I, I felt like he had something to do with Whitby. That was genuinely it. And then when I was. <laughs> reading the reviews I saw that people were saying it was just a boring travel log and like not a lot happened and I thought oh god here we go and I thought oh do you know what this is giving the woman in white which I loved oh yes yeah and I think towards the end I didn't like it as much I was thinking oh is this three stars purely because it does the same thing as a woman in white where because it's written all in letters and diaries all these different excerpts and from all these different viewpoints then they have to repeat the information to make sure everyone's on the same page which is frustrating but then I thought well that that's just what they did at the time so I thought I'm not going to deduct a star because it was written in a 
Victorian revolutionary style. So, yeah, because, I mean, wasn't Wilkie Collins the first person to actually do different narrators in his book? Yes, he was. So, in that That sense, I don't know. The beginning of the Victorian period and this is very much towards the end. I think it's like 1897 or something. Mm, I wonder how many years definitely read them. Like 40 years? Yeah. So he would have definitely read um, Wilkie Collins. Yeah. Yeah. It was quite a bold move to write a book like this at that time. He'd kind of fallen out of fashion. Yeah, it's true. So I think what let it down was that style but I know that was just the form of this kind of novel mm. so can't really be a hater on that but apart from that it was a jam-packed adventure and it is. it's something that I really like because I know that I have so much that to analyze about it yeah which I know that doesn't necessarily make a good reason to like something, but I just thought that I, I just find it super interesting. I feel like it's got a lot of layers, mm-hmm. and um, I was really interested in its presentation of gender and sexuality and how I personally found it quite um, surprisingly feminist. Yes, and I agree. I so I was yeah I was well shook at that. I'm very excited to discuss that and. I was getting proper uh, gay vibes from it as well, which I found really interesting, which is the exact same as The Beetle, which we spoke about before. Yeah. So now I'm a big fan, and I think, well, do you know what? Slay. Yeah, and because I think vampires and sex and sexuality and gender go hand in hand. I think they always have. And they always mm-hmm. will. Yeah. And I think that's so interesting. And it's even more interesting when you think about the time period in which these stories emerged. Yeah. Was this was. 97 as well? Because the Beatle was like 99. Yeah, I think this was. Oh, it was 97. Yeah. And I think when you just think of all these elements of what was happening in the world and society and the books that were being read and the kind of the the sub themes and like under the subtext okay that's the word I was looking for yeah our uni too long um Mm -hmm. is so so interesting and I even remember when I was in Germany and we were looking at kind of horror stories and whatever we spent a little bit of time talking about vampires when Mm -hmm. we were looking at um the sexuality part of the module because I think one of the earliest vampire novels is a lesbian vampire novel. Yeah, isn't it Camille? Yeah. Is that what it's called? Yeah, definitely. And even if you just think of all the kind of the blood transfusions and things within this book and that kind of the intimate nature of sharing blood with each oh. other and how they, how it's literally all her suitors as such giving her blood at one point isn't it oh, it's each of them each of yeah. the to marry her plus the doctor mm. van helsing and the others and i think oh. there's something very interesting there as well about sex and sexuality well i guess just being a vampire there's a lot of it is sensual about it like you said with they're having to give her blood but also with just when a vampire has to bite a human obviously biting is yeah. quite essential activity. Exactly. And so if you if you watch a vampire eating well not eating some drinking someone's blood, it, it, it's a little bit sexy. Well it's it's quite animalistic as well. It depends. Yeah. But the way they were described in this, um I could just imagine her when he was drinking uh, Mina's blood. Mm-hmm. Um, Dracula yeah and then he made her he then he gouged himself in his chest and made yeah, her in this... drink his blood and it just it all feels very uh, yeah some kind of weird sexual ritual thing 
no it definitely is in the, that kind of like trance state that they're then in and like doing things for what yeah yeah it's very much so it is Ooh. it's kind of like the blood is a substitute bodily fluid for another one you know yeah no definitely it is and directly speaking it is a bodily fluid yeah yeah so yeah Mm. interesting interesting um i was just thinking as well about how right at the start with jonathan harker when he visits dracula Mm -hmm. i was confused was dracula in love with him or not oh i don't know is that just my modern reading of just shipping everyone I, I thought I felt a little bit of sexual tension there well I think I think Dracula himself is very much a non-straight figure yeah he balls on him he yeah mm-hmm. you can see that he desires both men and women and I I do yeah. think that maybe yeah there is that and I think there kind of has to be that subtext of him maybe having a thing for Jonathan in the way that if you just think of like I I don't mean to be like overly sexualizing the vampire figure because I know it's not always completely related to sex Mm -hmm. but I think a lot of the time especially in these early novels it is because it's almost a method for them to talk about these sort of things by saying oh if we we create this character of a vampire which is kind of otherworldly and not of this world and doesn't fit into the conventions we're allowed to express mm-hmm. kind of people's feelings and how they don't fit into the conventions of society as such so it kind of is a vessel for talking and showing things that aren't that are maybe a bit taboo in society yeah, you said that um probably in our late Victorian Gothic episode. Yeah, definitely. About the Gothic being a place in the supernatural where you can subvert conventions because exactly. it's okay because it's supernatural. Exactly. It's all about that kind of those, those liminal spaces, those in-between spaces. Yeah. Um, of kind of not being one thing but not quite being the other, sitting in that grey area. Is it saying there's just so much othering in it? Yes. And also with Dracula being from Transylvania, it is a classic fear of the other and fear yeah. of anywhere outside of Britain. Yes. Imperialist thought in this. Definitely. And you see that with how Jonathan reacts when he realizes that Dracula is going to be trying to has done all this planning and research about London in order mm. to move himself over there. And even when Dracula's talking to Jonathan about how he wants to just be able to blend in and not be seen as mm. another. And like we were saying with the Beatles, it's the same thing of that kind of threat of the other. Yeah, it's a, it's a, a foreign threat coming over to yeah, our shores, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And that's the base of a lot of these gothic fictions and this is such a kind of this has become almost a um like a ground sheet for gothic fiction if you want to show someone a gothic novel that encapsulates all the kind of fears and tropes and everything Mm -hmm. show them this yeah i mean count fosco as well and women in white yes they go yeah also just quickly Mm -hmm. um, i just googled uh, Dracula Gay, and it's come up with apparently it's a Bram Stoker was good friends of Oscar Wilde, according mm-hmm. to this. Well, actually, no, this is a uni website, and it turns out Stoker wrote Dracula or well, started writing it a month after Oscar Wilde was convicted. Interesting, so, that is interesting, and Apparently, was influence on Stoker has been neglected in analysis, but you know what? 
that I think that means we do have some basis for thinking that it's giving off um well, definitely uh, and well queer even readings like, of things can be read in like I think there's like three different categories of queer readings you've got one where the author is one yeah. where who's reading it is or one where there's subtext and I feel like that any of those three fit for literally anything ever written ever mm. <laughs> yeah yeah I right. think even more so when you've got things like that um as the context yeah for, and when you just think about the vampire and what they've represented even in like the 40 or so years before this maybe even less yeah and if you think afterwards of Anne Rice and her vampires yeah true I think that what has given me this gay subtext is there's so much about power in this as there is in so many books and I feel like he's teasing them he's toying with them you know especially with Renfield yeah, his mask and Matrix thing happened there, but that's how I read it. Or maybe yeah. it's just because it's so homosocial, and it's obviously there's Mina and Lucy at the centre of it. But it's proper macho energy, and yeah. he's been trying to hunt down another man and getting obsessive. Definitely, yeah. It's hyper masculinity in this. Yeah, and I think you definitely see that more so towards the end where they're doing everything in their power to save Mina, where you've got these three or four men hunting down Dracula in order yeah. to save her. And that almost kind of brings it to a more conventional masculine-feminine mm. sort of thing, where you've got her who's kind of not able to do anything because she's turning into a vampire and yeah. kind of under Dracula's spell, under his trance, um, and you've got the men literally sacrificing themselves for her in the end. To sacrifice themselves. Sorry. Oh. True. Well, the thing is with Mina is that she starts off being such a... Such a baddie. Yeah, from a baddie. I thought, oh, sorry, there's a female character in a Victorian novel that is allowed to actually do things. Mm. Say what? And she's going. She's providing all the info. She's she knows what's going on. She puts two and two together. She must memorise the train timetables. She's her only hope. Quite frankly, and the only other person in the novel who does that is Dracula. He's yeah. the only other one who oh. has that same level of she, memorizing and that same intelligence in a way. And she's almost elevated to his status. I think, mm-hmm. well, it makes sense that he chose to buy Mina because that would probably be too gay if he bit one of the guys, you know. Oh, well, no. he, nah. With, like, Renfield, he was well, essentially... He wasn't quite turning into a vampire in the same way that the girls were. Uh, no, that confused me. That's I need to have a discussion with you about that. But um, I, I think I'm a little hazy on Renfield as well. Yeah, yeah. But I think with Mina, that she's more his intellectual equal. Mm-hmm. To be honest, I don't, I think Dracula knew that. And so I feel like I'm dumbing this book down. Oh, no, no. I think this is. This is totally perfect for what we need. We've only got an hour to talk about this. Yeah, yeah. No, but, yeah, she started off so strong and she was carrying so much responsibility on her shoulders, having to look after Lucy and make sure that she wasn't sleepwalking, having to go out to Budapest and look after Jonathan and help him recuperate. She was doing the most this. She was providing mm-hmm. Van Housing with all the missing info. And she was the only person that Renfield trusted. Yeah. And she was keeping a diary of exactly what was happening all the time. She knew that she needed this info. So I love Mina. I thought, what a brilliant character. I love her taking centre stage. So good. 
wow, this is the new Marianne. Um, yeah. and, and then she becomes weak and then she's not allowed to be part of their vampire hunting activities. However, I know, that is disappointing. She does, but I have a few ideas about this. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, on the one hand, she's at the centre of the action with being the one that Dracula chose to buy. So you know, she's still main character energy, fine. And also I'm thinking that she, because when she gets hypnotised, she's once again providing them all the key information so yeah. she plays a pretty pivotal role and also in a way the men I don't want to say that it's kind of silly but to a degree when they're running around at the end trying to find all these boxes of earth I think I was imagining if I watched that as an adaptation would it be a little bit farcical yeah where she's letting them run off doing all their fighting, doing all their supposed macho stuff. Mm. So is it a bit jokes on them and she's not a part of all the men running around doing silly stuff, you know? Mm, I do. Yeah. Or is it, they were just like, do you know what? We can't have a woman involved this much. She can't go and sort Dracula out. Or or they thought, yeah, no, women can't be a vampire hunter, (laughs) haha. And then in the end, they actually did need her to go with them. And then they thought... Yeah, exactly. And I think that's almost a saving grace for the kind of... the female characters in this novel by the fact that they still need her and they still rely on her in the end to be able to find him. Because that that means she's not completely kind of erased in the same way. Yeah. I I do wonder whether it is a bit of kind of social convention that meant like oh we can't have her like leading this fight mm. um, to find him but yeah. she still plays an integral role and if they didn't have her they wouldn't have been able to stop him in the end yeah exactly so i think mm. that's definitely a saving grace yeah but it is it is a little bit sad where she goes from being such a kind of strong mm. integral there on a character to then her just being turning ill and going into these trance states and yeah actually that is the same as the other two books we keep mentioning beetle and woman in white the same thing happens and i do i do think because otherwise maybe maybe it was the publishers at the time who were like this is not going to sell people are not going to be happy and they're not going to read it if you keep her or maybe maybe even the authors themselves it was so kind of mm. inbuilt that at the end it would be the men yeah. the day but then they thank the women at mm. the very end of the novel which happens again in this one yeah like in the end of the woman in white and and they when they end they have they have their baby so they have their baby it's a very typical mother. victorian gothic ending yeah. Oh, now a lot of time has passed. We're happily married with children. We fondly remember our vampire hunting days. <laughs> yeah. Such fun. Oh. I think that if it had been written maybe 50 years later, do you think Lucy still would have died? Oh. Interest. Um maybe. I feel like even 50 years later, they still like killing off women. Yeah, you're right. And I think, I think you you need the deaths and the mortality. Yeah, you book, do. Like, contrasts, obviously, um, Dracula's undeadness and his immortality yeah. until the end, obviously, when he does die. Mm. Um, and maybe it's used to set up the fact that dracula will be able to be killed in the end because if, if they're able to kill it's true he turns into a vampire it yeah. shows you that they're not totally immortal mm-hmm. that they do have a weakness but i guess yeah. it is annoying that it has to be the woman who dies you know not even from a feminist perspective but i guess it does make sense for a plot point to have 
someone killed. But yeah. I really didn't think that they were going to save her because I thought, wait, oh, she's dead. What, what are they going to do now? I know. I don't, I'm not really explaining it well, but I just thought, well, they've got modern science. He can hypnotize people. Can they not galvanize her? Yeah. I, just, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, shit. but they kind of they give up on their science after the whole transfusion thing. Yeah, I think yeah. that's definitely the height of the science in this book, the yeah. medical science anyway. Yeah, mm. I do. It's pretty impressive the globe trotting they all do. I mean, I know it's only England and Europe, but it's still pretty impressive. Yeah, I know you're right. They're just like here, there, and everywhere. Mm. I do find. Sorry, this is off the globe trotting the um Lucy stuff. I think what confused me about Lucy and why I thought she they were gonna save her is because I took issue with the rules of being a vampire. Yep. I feel like they're very hazy and do what they want with them in this book. And I yeah. hate suspending my belief because Yeah. I don't, oh, it's just, okay, it doesn't make sense in, I mean, obviously I still enjoy it, okay, but I just need to know, so, at what point after you've been bitten are you automatically a vampire, or do, do you just become some kind of vampire victim that's not a vampire, like, why is he going back to keep feeding on them, and... At what so what point do you die but not die? And so why is he moving around but they're not really moving around? Mm. And why like why did Lucy did Lucy become a bat? Is he a specific special type of vampire? I I have a lot of questions about it. No, I know I know what you mean, and they kind of they half explain some of the kind of rules as such for him. Yeah. But also not. But I know it's only kind of mm-hmm. speculation because you kind of wonder, well, if you try and think to Lucy's transition as such, mm-hmm. she only she's like a kind of half vampire while she's still technically alive. And I guess that's the state Mina is in. She's alive, but is slowly kind of transitioning as such but is it only fully fully die yeah and they kind of only reawake as a vampire Mm. and I think that's where maybe some of the kind of law nowadays is like oh you've got to drink vampire's blood die then come alive to be a vampire yeah yeah come alive again to be a vampire because that Mm. seems to be kind of vaguely there with this the yeah. whole the whole bat thing i don't know yeah okay I, I mean so what was renfield was he i don't vampire-y know. or not what 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 was he i found him so interesting i've never heard of him before i thought he was related. such an interesting character and at the first part of the book, when they were kind of going to the doctor's viewpoint to talk about Renfield and the lunatic yeah. side, it's like, okay, what's this? Where's this going? And then with the whole like him kind of consuming life, and when he talks to yeah. Nina about his ideas of consuming life and how he thought he could do it to a yeah. to a person and whatnot, and it makes me think that maybe he will. He wasn't transitioning into a vampire, but Dracula had some form of mind control or something over him. But I don't know what the point. Yeah, but why? Yeah, separate because I'm pretty sure because Renfield was already in the asylum before Count Dracula came to London. Mm. So does that suggest either the possibility for? other vampires or does it just suggest that maybe he was mentally I don't know is he this yeah, kind of it, character that fits in between these two worlds of yeah, the world and it, the vampire world and yeah, like, uses his mental weakness to get into his mind to try 
help him fulfill his own desires of making new vampires i don't know yeah in summary i was thinking is he just supposed to represent this weird state between being a vampire and being a human yeah and the idea of wanting to consume souls and is there for more philosophical discussions but then i thought or is he actually something to do with dracula and helping dracula is he some like they say at one point is he an index to what dracula is doing but oh, I, I just didn't yeah. really understand their relationship because why why was he bothered about killing him? Yeah, I don't know. Like why why what did he what did what was Dracula just thinking? Oh, I live right next to a mental asylum. I want to have some fun. Was that all it was? Yeah, that's the thing. Like you I don't, don't know. know. Was it just a like element? What? I don't know. And I do. I, I want to read some analysis about this. Yeah, because I think he's such an interesting character, mm. and it is so much so that you don't know whether he actually has some form of vampire connection somewhere, or whether yeah. it's just because of his. Oh, like is it a comment on mental illness? But then again, yeah. it is. That doesn't seem to be a very positive. No, because that's almost saying like, oh if if you're in that state you're kind of you're more more susceptible to these kind of evil evil controlling nature of dracula mm. and him. is dracula taking advantage of him yeah. or is yeah. able to is renfield able to kind of see past the human like you say be that kind of index between the two worlds and mm. see the other world beyond the human world and he's yeah. maybe lightened than everyone else because he can yeah. see both. Mm. True. I do think that oh. Renfield provided a lot of the horror of the book. Yes. I yes. don't know if it's just being a modern reader, but a lot of the Dracula stuff isn't actually that scary now. I was thinking if if I was watching it, that it would be quite funny. Maybe not. I heard that that BBC one from a couple of years ago is really good. Did you say that? It is. It's very good. It does a good job of um kind of modernising it. Okay. Still, still quite... It's more scary than this. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily okay. say it's a horror. No, but because Renfield's the only thing that's actually creepy when it says that he ate all the sparrows just raw, just live, he just ate them. Oh no! See that that makes me shiver more than because I think Dracula is quite cartoonish. Because I was really surprised by the description because yeah. it's just said he's got hair right in the middle of his palm. No, weird. It's a really weird description. It is, I've and got I think werewolf vibes. Yeah, yeah, and I wonder whether a lot of kind of seeing this kind of cartoony version in our heads and because there's some like outlandish descriptions of him and I think mm. because of how kind Red of prolific, eyes. yeah prolific Dracula has become in the media mm. like you say Dracula everyone's gonna have pale face like kind of pointy hair mm. um bangs and everything and all that <laughs> he's become such a kind of um what's the word of something figure I don't know mm comes such a thing that I think it has taken away the fear aspect. And I think if you try to imagine being a late Victorian reading this, yeah, then it becomes more scary when you think of the fact that he's trying to blend in, to look yeah. like, can act and sound mm. like a um a Londoner, essentially. And it's like, it's that fear and threat, as we were saying before, going back to that, um, of that kind of intrusion of the other. And I think that's where the horror and the scare comes from in this, more so than that kind of gross shock horror or anything that we may be more so with Renfield. It's more of a, Mm. not, not psychological, more of a threat to society than... Yeah, you're right. Of that, and like, oh god, what could happen if? Yeah, I mean, they were their idea of horror 
they were more worried about you know when they told that story when they were trying to break into Dracula's house in London about how someone went abroad and then their house got sold and everything auctioned off by someone who broke in yeah like that was scary. That's what that's they were worried about oh, that creeped me out to be fair yeah um but having spoken about the uh more stereotypical cartoonish elements book um I was thinking it's interesting did a lot of the ideas about what a vampire is come from Dracula or from other things before it was already folklore like okay for instance with having the berserker of those wolves which also I didn't expect I know wolves and vampires are a thing yeah because obviously Twilight but (laughs) expect him to have command of the wolves and for them to actually go off and do his bidding and check in on people I was quite shook at that and also say like the garlic did that originate from here was it just a thing like an old wives tale from before this book Mm. I can't I can't say for total certainty because I have not comprehensively done my vampire research Mm. and I I think it would be a very a very deep dark hole to do it but I do believe (laughs) that a lot of a lot of what we come to think of as vampires does come from this and that's not to say mm. this is the first vampire novel story and it's not no. to say that there aren't this same sort of creep this same sort of creature in mm. other cultures and things yes but it was definitely the most commercial yeah of the time like it was massive and yeah. then if you think of all the different film versions of it and I think this came out Obviously, it comes out at the very end of the nineteenth um, century. Yeah, and obviously you've got film beginning to boom in the twentieth century. Yeah, and it's being used for a lot of that, and then the kind of adaptations that you see of the kind of what they how they've changed the story mm-hmm. on the screen. I think probably the most notable example being the whole drinking from the neck and wrist as opposed to the chest, which he does in the book. Because obviously yeah. that would have been way too much for the, like, um, what's the, yeah. the whole, like, obviously you can't show a half-naked woman no. um, having someone drink out of her chest. Yeah, on the neck, totally fine. Um, <laughs> but no, um, going back to the whole vampire thing I think a lot of it does come from this but that's not to say it wasn't around before mm-hmm. this has become the most mm-hmm. well fiction of yeah. it mm-hmm. okay. but it's one of those things that's so I'd love to just spend months of my life researching vampire yeah. lore, tracing it back as far as possible because I really go so far back and still have these same sort of stories because you I mean, you know, as a literature student, it's all it's all the same stories being told again and again, just in different ways, and uh, exactly. that kind of represents about society and their fears and things like that. Yeah, and the whole undead thing is such a massive thing and always has been. And is it a comfort or not a comfort? This idea of people being able to come back from the dead in this way as a vampire. Mm. Sorry, I'm just rambling there for a minute. No, <laughs> no it's interesting. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's just one of those books where you have the idea of this cartoon in your head, and you think, eh. and then actually, it's not really about Dracula, which is kind of silly because it is because his name yeah. is in the book, but it's not. It's just with in Whitby, the majority of the book, and. It's more so about philosophy and science. You oh, don't yeah. really see Dracula. Is more so the Lucy and her suitors and Mina and Jonathan. Yeah, it's more it's just so their relationships. I don't. I don't really think it is as much about Dracula. It's not like he makes loads of dramatic appearances, really. No, and it takes you a while into the book to realise that there's maybe something weird going on with him or that it's 
gonna become more because I know there are odd things happening when Jonathan's at his house um yeah. at his castle more like but yeah and then it jumps back to the mall in England and like you say it's you just trying to piece together their lives and what's going on it just so yeah. happens that Dracula happens to kind of come in the middle of it all do you know what cracks me off the issues for them and then they yeah the issues and live their lives yeah, I just find it funny that the reason for him coming over is all to do with how he buys a house here. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why I was just like, wow, that's such a great plot device. Get him to buy a house. Come on over. Literally. I love it. It's just, yeah, it's, I think it's the form of the book, all the, the letters in that. It's some, it feels more like some kind of legal work, like bringing someone's yeah. justice but surprisingly oh, no, like, he's a lawyer as opposed well, to Valhalla, he, oh, he's, he's a solicitor yeah yeah amongst yeah. other things but no I know I know what you mean about the whole kind of it's almost like they're bringing someone to justice are they bringing Dracula to justice are they trying to be yeah. like look at these great this great collection of men who are protecting England. Right. Is that what it's also saying? Yeah. With the odd American in there as well. Yeah. Quincy. Yeah. Who dies. Which which means like, that did I care? No. people left, which also seems oh. very much. Oh, I can't the end of the day, it's the British men. Um, oh, I just was not as bothered because we never got his perspective, did we? Oh, I don't know. No, we didn't. We didn't. I don't think so. We just saw him through others, which is also another another thing. Interesting. Interesting note. Yeah. I, never I do guess. always find it interesting who they who they don't let you hear. Because I can't... What was the other one? We read one with Jason. We read one at some point and one of the central characters you know I think maybe in the Beatle one of the characters in that you never hear his perspective uh, yeah and he was one of the big ones mm. so I think that's also interesting to think of who you don't hear directly from this could make a really interesting essay you know oh definitely I mean just from our conversation there are so many different kind of essay topics you could pick yeah. up because you could yeah. look at very vaguely like British versus other or yeah. there are so many things you could do. We could probably write an entire list of different essay topics we could write on essay topics. Mm. I just want to write a paper just about eating those flies. That really stuck with me, that image. You said I... and also the way he was kind of stacking up the lives where he was like, I'll oh, have the flies and get the spiders to eat the flies. Yeah, it's like a nursery. The spiders who'd eaten the flies Mm. and then him eating them and then him wanting the cat. That kind of stacking thing. Yeah. Dr. Dr. Seward as well. Fascinating Mm. character with his... Yeah. I feel like he is a whole separate plot point. Him and Brenfield, that analysis... Definitely. Very interesting, and him throwing himself into his work because he got rejected at the start. Sad. But yeah, that's one of those, it almost feels like theirs is a subplot that just so happens to connect up with the rest at the end. Yeah. It's one of those, at the beginning, you're kind of thinking, oh, how do these guys fit into it? Yeah. Relevance of them going to be? You're right. Hmm. So, so interesting. And even with the whole, with his chapters, there are kind of interesting little comments or lines that make me think it would be such an interesting thing to look at the depiction of mental health and the views. Yeah, yeah because of, of the idea of it, can you trust what you believe and what really <sighs> made Jonathan Harker lose his marbles was thinking exactly. he couldn't have seen what he saw, but as soon as he knew that he actually did, then he was fine. Yeah. And even when you think of um 
Mina and Lucy in their trance states and the kind of mm. mental impact of that. Yeah. And even I think when Mina's having her first kind of semi-trance, she says, like, there are interesting things she said about being kind of awake and dreaming and then fainting in her dream and yeah. things like that and that kind of reality versus imagination okay that's the word I was looking for yeah yeah any more Dracula comments would you watch an adaptation yeah because I want to see how they do it now yeah, yeah I definitely I want to rewatch the BBC one from a few years ago mm-hmm. and I want to see if I view it any differently after reading it mm-hmm. yeah to before I did once see a theatre production of it years ago so I can't really remember it but I remember it was interesting we went in second Mm. school with our English class that's cool yeah story that'll stay for a long time I mean it's been here for a while I think it'll carry on yeah What are we going to talk about next Halloween now is what I'm thinking. Ooh, I know, because I feel like we've done a lot of the obvious ones. Done the main gothic ones. Yeah, maybe we'll have to branch out into some films. Maybe, yeah. I don't know what, though. Because I'm not really a horror film kind of person. No, I'm not either now. Maybe we can just do, like, Hocus Pocus or something. Practical yeah. Magic. Um, oh, like a practical magic. episode or something. But not about Roald Dahl's witches, but pick some like witch fiction or something because yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you heard it here first. <laughs> not that you'd hear it anywhere else. Um, yeah. Well, I hope you all have a very happy Halloween. Very happy Halloween. Um, enjoy doing spooky things. Um, and I have a very non-spooky blonde moment to end the episode with. Oh, oh, um, moment. Do do. <laughs> this week's blonde moment goes to Kate Humble, who Ooh. I got to meet from afar and listen to at the Cheltenham Literature Festival the other week. Um, which is very exciting. Ooh. Lovely lady. I guess everyone kind of knows big tv presenter i think she started out as a tv producer um most commonly known for things like animal park and spring watch and stuff like that um but also i didn't realize that she'd written like five or six books maybe more as well about Mm -hmm. nature and walking and things like that yeah that cheltenham literature festival she was talking she did like a little interview thing called is it called finding home think it's called finding home about her most recent book called i've got written down here um where the hearth is about the process of finding home and what what counts as home for us because she was talking about a house like her dream house that she bought and Mm -hmm. all the kind of renovations and decorating everything and then how it just didn't feel like home to her family and that got her thinking like what the elements are that make a place a home and kind of linking that with nature and everything as well it was really exciting really interesting and she was talking to um, Marshall Farrell who's also written a book on similar sort of themes about her finding home here after moving I think from one of the Caribbean islands um, Mm. to the UK she's a psychotherapist so she kind of looks at the um, psychological impacts of the home and how we think about that as well so well that was interesting so yeah to Kate Humble and Finding Home I can't think of any kind of way to link that to Dracula at all apart from maybe Dracula trying to find home and then realising that it's not in the UK I don't know yeah yeah in summary and all the British men protecting their home yeah Right. <laughs> oh. Okay, well oh. oh 
Oh, oh what were you going to say? I said, well, we'll be back oh, no. with... <laughs> our no, next um, well our next like, proper full length episode is going to be Emily Henry it is it is indeed so switching up the gears a bit switching up a bit with us Tom flick is it what chick flick I don't know if I call it maybe it's not chick, it. chick lit chick lit chick flick or oh, what am I on about oh yeah 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 so that's exciting. And we've got another extra brew episode with a special guest coming in between. Ooh. Ooh. Keep your ears peeled. That sounds strange, but <laughs> a nice Halloween note to end it on. Ears peeled. Yeah, happy Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Tea O'Clock with Keller. Join us next time for more.